so inviting and it was such a nice environment to be in and it was just like I miss it. It was really felt like a home. Think I'll pace my apartment a few In this episode of the 21st Century Classroom, longtime Vermont educator and innovative ed superstar Lindsay Hallman takes us through a history of the Edge Academy, an experimental student-centered middle grades project she built and coordinated. Lindsay set out and interviewed former Edge students and their families, who all experienced firsthand the transformative power of providing students with the support to choose their own pathways in learning, and what the difference is when those students tackle the rest of their education and life beyond. What would you do if you were given the time and space to create a school where students could tell you exactly what and how they wanted to learn? Where they arrived cheerful and excited with boundless energy for the school day? And what if I told you it was grounded in the most powerful forms of pedagogy, personalization, proficiency-based education, and flexible pathways? In 2008, myself and a few other educators at Essex Middle School decided to build a new kind of school. First and foremost, we focused on building radically supportive relationships with and between students. We wanted students to empower themselves we wanted students to feel like they really could change the world by making their own coursework and projects. And we wanted all of those things to have strong ties to the community. This is the collective story of the Edge Academy, told by... Bren House. Barb Lummel. Mitchell Hay. Chloe Lummel Hay. Rebecca Stone. My name's Abby. My name's Raquel Matos. I'm Lily Davis. And you know, I don't think this story could be told any other way because effective personalized learning isn't one student sitting alone at a computer. It's truly a collective experience with everyone supporting one another, peer to peer, youth to adult, students and community. Everyone showed up to make the edge work. So everyone shows up here in its story. Meet Chloe Lemel Hay and her parents, Barb and Mitch. Uh, my name is Chloe Lemel Hay and I was in the edge from sixth grade to eighth grade, and that was from 2009 to 2012. Um, and I'm currently in my sophomore year at Harvard University. And I'm Barb Lemel. I'm Chloe Lemel Hayes' mom. And I'm Mitchell Hay, Chloe Lemel Hayes' dad. The Lemel Hayes were there from day one. They were there on the first day of the edge and remained advocates, not just for their own daughter, but for all the students and for the very idea of the edge. And we still keep in touch. I really appreciated the relationships with the teachers that I had at the edge because I was really, really close with you and I was really close with a lot of the teaching aides and the staff. But I always felt so comfortable just coming into the staff room and you never made me feel um, like I didn't deserve to um, spend time with you guys outside of when we were in class and ask you questions about things that we weren't covering in class. and have lunch with you, and just do all kinds of things. Um, and that was really, really valuable. The Edge gave kids who weren't of a specific type a place to really flourish and feel valued and make relationships with other people, and that was really special. That's an important piece. There's a lot of generalizations about Vermont as a homogeneous population of people, 
But as an educator, it's apparent every day how diverse our population of students is. And it was imperative that the edge was an equitable place where everyone felt valued and welcomed and even loved. It was about everyone being comfortable enough to try new things and speak up. I loved feeling like Chloe was going to an educational program that I really believed in. I completely trusted the teacher team and I completely trusted the philosophy. I really believed in what you were trying to do. It totally made sense to me. I really, I enjoyed the meetings um, with, very, with other parents. Um, where we'd talk about kind of what our hopes and dreams were. And the kids were a community. That's the other thing I remember, was how much connection there was between the students. Um, you know, they're middle schoolers, right? So sometimes it was more dramatic than others. But, but people really cared about each other. And the EDGE worked hard to nurture that. It's really interesting because in these interviews, everyone kept talking about home and family and community. And those just aren't words you hear very often about middle school. Just how open everyone was. It was just great. Like, you go into this multi-age team thinking, oh, man, the eighth graders, like, they might be mean. They might just not talk to us. And then they were just so inviting. And it was such a nice environment to be in. And it was just like I miss it. It was really felt like a home. My name is Raquel. So I go to school at Essex Middle School. And I was on edge the school year of 2016 and 17 during my seventh grade year. It was, like, enlightening, I guess is the word I would use. Like, it just opened me up to a whole new world of people, and just, it was great. It's like, this, like, what? This is, like, a thing? I didn't know, and it was, it was amazing. So Raquel came to me when she was in seventh grade, and just like she said, it was effective, but she wasn't really engaged. But she had a fire within her, for sure. Outside of school, she was an activist. She was involved in all these kinds of change movements. But inside, I don't think anybody knew that. She was just compliant or bored. She spoke up a lot, but it was just to point out what wasn't working for her. During her seventh grade year, students chose issues they wanted to dive deep into. And we worked with a community artist to produce some slam poetry. And all of a sudden, you heard Raquel's voice that fire on the inside became an inferno when she released it. She knew who she was, and she wanted you to know now, too. She was going to change the world. She had the opportunity to share her poetry at a statewide conference as one of the keynote speakers. It's too much. Teacher's teaching, but I can't learn. I She had a strong voice and a strong point of view before The Edge, but her relationships at The Edge, her strong relationships with both the adults and students there, helped her channel that voice into one that could change others. It became a voice of change. Instead of seeing her as 
disruptive. We saw that fire inside her as something to be valued and something we wanted her to feel empowered to share. Raquel is Latina, and she fell into the same trap so many students of color experience in our schools. She was seen as disruptive because she shared her voice and her opinions. But on the edge, we wanted her to embrace her voice and stand with her community in feeling supported and valued for using it. Now, Rebecca Stone's son, Aaron, was in the edge for six years. Aaron came to us as a third grader with a set of unique abilities and talents. Aaron needed freedom and support to become someone who could use that freedom effectively. What is one of your fondest memories of The Edge? So I think in terms of watching Aaron and knowing probably what he enjoyed most was that um, the, the year he actually got to spend building the um, Maple Sugar House and doing the maple sugaring project um, was something completely different from anything he'd ever done. And um, it introduced him to tools and, you know, the science behind sugaring. And he really, really had a ball with that. It was great. It was great. And ever since then, you know, he's more than happy to pick up a tool and help his dad on projects too. So, But what I miss most about it, I guess I would say, is... um, just the kind of nurturing and care and, and love that you guys showed. It was very much a family and a community and the gatherings and the, the meals and the big project presentations and you know all of those are things that you're not necessarily going to get in a, in a typical classroom environment. So. Yes, a sugar house. Edge students designed and built their own working maple sugar house on school grounds. And that was only the beginning. We used project-based learning in the most student-centered way. Students began by developing questions and concerns they had about themselves and the world. They compared notes with their peers and looked for common themes. Then they turned those themes into a year-long project. Our requirement? Each project had to benefit the community in some way. Yeah, so my name is Ren House, um, and I'm a senior at Essex High School currently. And I was in the edge, we just determined this, uh, 2009, 2011, 2012, and 2013. I really liked being able to like go out sugaring and build, um, building the sugar house was a lot of fun, which is probably why I do theater now, because I have, I had that skill set. Oh, I remember one year I did this map thing, this giant map of like a sustainable city. Yes. And I really enjoyed doing that and realizing that like this um, if I wanted it to, I could like present this to a, a board or a state representative and be like, here's a thing that we could do. Or um, I remember Chloe Lemelhay put up uh, the solar panels at the school and got grants and stuff like that. And so just seeing, seeing kids my age going out and doing, getting things done was really satisfying, really cool. So it wasn't just a sugar house. We measured and reduced car emissions in the turnaround out front. We put solar panels on the roof of the school. We created a community garden for the town of Essex, and fruits and veggies from that garden were eaten in the school cafeteria. We wrote stories and plays and wrote music, all of it focused on the collective good. For instance, every morning there was this journalism elective. We started before the school day even began, and we learned the skills for being a journalist. And then the students looked for issues in their own community they wanted to investigate. 
I remember after Hurricane Irene, we traveled around the state interviewing Vermonters who experienced extreme flooding. I had a student who was interested in why so much food waste was being thrown away behind the local supermarket. She did a whole investigative report on food waste, rescued apples from the supermarket, and made us a pie with them. The investigative reporting our students were doing, it became well known, and our local newspaper, The Essex Reporter, wound up running a column of these student-authored investigative pieces. It became a big deal in our town. Remember Chloe? Being in journalism at 7 a.m. before everyone else got to school and putting together our paper, and I had my first byline um, with my Who Wants Hamburgers article (laughs) about E. coli. (laughs) And I was so excited that I got published in The Essex Reporter, and that would have only happened at the edge. I enjoyed seeing how often uh, Chloe would be going around with a spark in her eyes and light bulbs going off over her head. Uh, And so many projects having real world uh, involvement and then real world repercussions, like getting the solar array put on the roof of the school. You needed to write real letters to real people who could make real things happen, up to including having Bernie Sanders come and do the shindig with y'all. That People was, are very uh, impressed that I've had lunch with Bernie Sanders <coughs> for that go. reason. Uh, <laughs> do you remember when you did a week-long lesson at the elementary school? Mm-hmm. Oh my god, yeah. I totally forgot about that. Those first graders, and, yeah. and that you had to come up with a lesson plan, da 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 And I remember you came back after the first day and you said, Nothing happened the way I planned. <laughs> and I was like, well, you were teaching, and they're first graders, you know? Yeah. But you, you regrouped, and you figured out, okay, how these to kids translate, don't get anything I'm talking about, so how do I back up? And that, that, was, that was an amazing experience for you. Yeah, and I remember, because I was teaching an environmental science curriculum to first graders, second graders, and... Um, I went in the first day and I like had my PowerPoint, I had my plan, I was in front of the smart board, I had like my teacher outfit on, I was so ready. Um, and I was 12, but that's fine. <laughs> but I was trying to explain climate change to them and I was trying to explain greenhouse gases to these six-year-olds and they didn't know what a greenhouse was. And I kept trying to make it more and more and more basic and when I realized they didn't know what a greenhouse was, I was like, well, this is clearly not gonna work out. <laughs> My favorite group were, I call them the dog, the dog park boys. They, I remember when they first said they wanted to start a dog park in Essex, I was kind of like, we're surrounded by trees. <laughs> you want to do it? Okay, whatever. And they were like, because it'll be really cool. And they were just sort of spacey about it. And I, I you know, I, I didn't think that much about it. And then when I went back at the end of the year, they had put together, there was going to be a dog park in Essex Junction and they had, they had put it all together and the way they presented was so much more mature, um, so much more than just six months or nine months time. Um, and I, it, it was really, and I saw that happen again and again and again and again. Um, the Edge also taught me how to advocate for myself um, yes. in a way that a traditional middle school setting would, have, would not have done, especially against, not against, but um, advocate my, for myself uh, to people of power in whatever institution I was in. Um, 
and it gave me a strong sense of, well, if I just keep pushing, either it'll happen or I'll really figure out why it's not going to happen and maybe there's actually a good reason. I think it gave me pretty strong convictions about the values that I want to live towards throughout my life, regardless of whether I'm in school or in a career. What was most powerful about the projects that the Edge Learners completed was the relationships they created with community partners. Learning how to reach out through email or even make a phone call were skills that were essential to their project work. The response we received from the community was overwhelming. Edge students connected with farmers, artists, business owners, nonprofits, town officials. The list became endless. Raquel's community connection, for instance, was the University of Vermont's Cooperative Extension and 4-H. She contacted them about exploring food systems and hunger. They put her in touch with a program that helps students learn to facilitate trainings for younger students on food systems. Um, well, I was in a program called TRI, and it stands for Teens Reaching Youth. And it was all about teaching little kids, so like fourth graders, um, about... Well, we could choose what we wanted to teach them about, but um, I chose to teach them about the food systems. So it was like how the, f the main concept was how the food in their lunchbox got there and how we can help make that food help the environment, you know? And so we had to schedule our own appointments with the teachers. So we had to send them emails and we emailed back and forth with Miss Dorfman who go who teaches over at Founders. Um, so we settled on a meeting time, and so we met with her. And then she asked us questions about the program and um, what we were doing and if we needed anything from her, and we explained it all to her. And I like the TRI program because the little kids really seem to enjoy it. Like, there was this one time where we were overlapping into the recess time, and, like, we felt really bad because... They didn't want to overlap into the recess time, but they were really happy about it. One of the other keynoters, Abby, spent her time at the Edge developing a program where she upcycled bags from a local coffee company. Working with a local designer, Abby came up with a brand new pattern for the bags, sewed them herself, then sold them to raise money for a Burlington-based nonprofit organization serving housing insecure Vermonters. So I started, the base of the bag was a burlap sack, and it was from Green Mountain Coffee. They actually donated it, all of the bags for free, and then the straps were like a green oilcloth, and I used oilcloth because it's super sturdy. At our annual project fair, at the end of the year, where everybody shares their projects, and the parents come, and we had a booth, and uh, all the bags sold out, and we made, I think, about, like, $50, $60. I think it was good because um, I was new to the community, and so I got to go a bunch of places and meet a lot of new people who were willing to help, and seeing that people in your community are going to support you and help you because I met a lot of professional people, and they helped me with my project and influenced it. So there you have it. That was the edge. We took three seemingly obvious methods, radically loving relationships with students, empowering students to take charge of their learning, 
and deeply involving the community in student learning, and meshed them together in a program that cultivated successful personalized learning in Vermont. These approaches were indistinguishable in action because we saw and lived them every day at the edge. They were, and I still think they are, the heart of the work. Students have really important questions about themselves and the world around them. We're humans, and this power dynamic of teacher and students needs to shift. Truly valuing what each person's struggling with in their questions is fundamental, not just to effective personalized learning, but to being in this world together. My fondest memories were probably, um, like some of the times, like, like lunch in the classroom or homework club after school and um, or like some of the like the group projects I feel like I really connected with some of the people I don't know I don't know how to explain and I kind of wish I had that here still like I could just if I hadn't had that at that time I don't know if I would have been at the place I am now now so just I don't know I like this like close community that was built for the couple years I was there Personalized learning is really hard to get right, but when I listen to these students and their families talk about their time at the edge, I think we did it. I think we got it absolutely right. It's hard for me to objectively sum up a full decade of this wild and beautiful teaching experience, so I asked our contributors to give me one word they feel sums up the edge. Family. Probably outdoors, uh, just because we spent so much time outside. And, um, yeah. It was, like, enlightening, I guess is the word I would use. Like, it just opened me up to a whole new world of people, and just, it was great. It's like, this, like, what? This is, like, a thing? I didn't know, and it was, it was amazing. It was really great. I definitely appreciate the time I had on it. Community? Grounded. Maybe too close to the community, but relationships. I guess my word would be awesome. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. It's hard to feel nervous, to push the dangerous. I'm gonna run back to do the edge with you, where we can both fall hard in love. I'm on the edge. It was a gift for me as a teacher to have these relationships that transcend time. I wasn't just their seventh grade teacher. Making this has reminded me just how powerful this experience was for all of us. We were all in it together. And all these students and their families, they'll always be a part of my journey. an episode of the 21st Century Classroom podcast of the Tarrant Institute for Innovative Education at the University of Vermont. A huge thank you to the host and producer of this episode, Lindsay Hallman, along with Raquel and Abby, Chloe Lemel Hay, Barb Lemel, Mitch Hay, Rebecca Stone and her son Aaron, Ren House, and Lily Davis. 
The music we began this episode with was performed by Yasmin and Seme and Violet Corcoran, two former Edge Academy students who appear in a very early episode of this podcast. Additional music for this episode was provided by Dirtwire and Lady Gaga. A full transcript of this podcast is available at podcast.tarrantinstitute.org.